Last week we looked at three things for me in a we-centered, or we in a me-centered world, and it's just what does it look like for us to have our heads aligned with what God's doing, what our hands are aligned with what God's doing, and what our hearts are aligned with what God's doing, right? That's what balance looks like, not in a new age kind of way where we're like, let me just get everything kind of worked out and be balanced and things are fine, but really like how do I live a holistic or a whole self Everything that I have from a head standpoint, from a hand standpoint, from a heart standpoint of what God is up to in the world and then how, what is my part to that? And so we looked at that and how most of the time, I don't know about you, but like we separate those things out, right? Like my head's one place, here's my hands, I'm just trying to make it through the day for work and then through all that, like just try to keep my heart engaged in the process, because that's the first thing to go, isn't it? It's our heart, isn't it? It's the, we get beat up, we get stressed, we have a lot on our shoulders, and the first thing we do is we check out our heart, just trying to make it our way through the week. So I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I feel in some ways. And this morning, this week, I want to take a step further in this idea of what does it look like for our head, our hands, and our heart, and just keep driving in this idea of what it looks like to be we in a me-centered world. And so we're going to look at a passage in 2 Timothy. And so the, the, the sermon title this morning is Five Traits of a We-Centered Person. So if you're like a note taker or you're like, I'd like to write down some big ideas, I think this is for you this morning. Amen? Amen, as you all sleep. That's good. Okay, good, good. Five traits of a we-centered person. And just like we should combine our head, our hands, and our heart... We are also a combination of our traits, aren't we? Like, you might be thinking right now, oh wait, is he talking about that trait that I want to ignore or that trait that I'm actually good at? Anybody having those thoughts already? I had those all week as I was kind of writing the sermon. Like, whatever our strongest personality trait is, we tend to show that the easiest, don't we? Right? Kind of like a football team. Like, if you have a football team that has a so-so quarterback, you probably aren't going to reference or show off your, your passing game. You're going to show off the running game, kind of like Alabama does, right? Like, because they don't have a great quarterback, right? Whatever our weakest personality is or trait is, is like we tried to hide that, don't we? Right? Like, we, we hide that. We kind of push that to the side and, in hopes that people don't see it, but people see it, don't they? You ever notice that? Right, like people do see those things, and we tend to cover up our weakest traits with their strongest ones in hopes that we could kind of camouflage and move things around, but people see it. And I just want to say, just for this morning, because I don't know where you sit on the spectrum of like, hey, I've got all this in order, my boxes are okay, or they're not, but all of our traits, our strengths and our weaknesses, our strengths and our weaknesses all work together and can be used for God's purposes. Like that strength, that thing that you do well, that thing you do well for where God has you, obviously God could use that, but he could also use the weak ones too. And I just want to share a few truths this morning. Truth number one, it is through the grace and mercy of Jesus that any of our personal traits, any of them, our strong ones, our weak ones, our good ones, our bad ones, the ones that we don't want to forget, the ones that we wish we don't remember, all those things, all those things, through grace and mercy of Jesus, can grow more into Christ-likeness. Because that's the goal, right? It's not to be stronger in our strong ones. It's not to be weaker or, and not be as weak in our weak ones. It's that 
all of the things that make up who we are, our heads, our heads, our hands, our heart, our personality traits, to grow to be more like Jesus. Because that's the economy of the kingdom, isn't it? We just sing that. We just sing about his resurrection. Like the economy of the kingdom is that you and I walk forward in grace and mercy that Jesus' death has provided for us. And by that grace and mercy, they don't grow and they don't stay stagnant either. So we're going to look at, in passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, five traits. Five traits. And I want you to notice, just in the back of your mind, as we've been kind of really drilling in on this aspect of what does it look like for us personally to be we in a me-centered world of how the things that Paul is writing to Timothy about and how they engage his head, his hands, and his heart. We're good? We're not all asleep yet? I hope not. I know. We'll get us out pretty quickly. Chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I just want to read this over this. Remind them of these things. This is Pete, or Paul excuse me, writing to Timothy, who is taking over for him at Ephesus, by the way. So, he, so Timothy is now taking over the church from Paul, and Paul is writing this. Remind them, Timothy, of these things and charge them before God. Not the quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. But, this is a big but, but avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermenius and Philetus, Philetus, whatever their name is, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I just love, just, just real quick, the Lord knows who are his. Like You don't have to be fully convinced. The Lord knows who you are. You don't have to be fully convinced in what's good about you, what's not so good about you, what you're working on, what you're not. The Lord knows who you are. Amen? I hope that brings hope. It does for me this morning. So, whoever names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in the great house, there are not only vessels... Of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps, so that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, a lot of things in here. Actually, there's more than five. I had to whittle it down just for the sake of time. But I think these are five that are really important. 
we center trait number one is remind. It's in verse 14. What are we supposed to remind the people of? Because Paul says, the first thing he says is, Hey, Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about the words. Well, what are the things? Well, it's just a few verses earlier. It starts in verse 11. I just want to read you that so that we can get the context. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we were faithless, he remains faithful. Isn't that interesting? If we're faithless, he's faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so that word remind means to recall, to remember, or to cause to think again. And so Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, to your church, the people that are there in the church, remind them that Jesus, if we've died with him, that we will live with him. If we've given our lives to him, if we've died to ourselves, then we live with him. If we endure, we will reign. And so I don't know where you are and like what you need to die to this morning or what you are enduring this morning. But what I do know is that Jesus is faithful even when we don't have the faith to carry us across the finish line. He's faithful even when we don't have the faith to carry us across the finish line. And so Paul is saying, hey, the job of a worker approved by God is to remind ourselves and to cause people to think about and to recall. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, you might need to set up a notification to remind yourself of things. You have those things on your phone, don't you? Notifications remind you what to buy at the grocery store or where you need to go in your schedule. How often do we walk around without notifications set up on their spiritual things in our lives? The heart that mean the things that matter the most, not where I need to go in 15 minutes because my phone knows the travel, the paths that I go all the time. Have you ever noticed that? Like it says, as soon as you get in the car, you have this thing, don't you? And it says, it'll take you 14 minutes to get home because of certain traffic. Isn't that funny? Do you know what? I've never had my phone tell me it's going to take you three months to get through this spiritual season. But Paul is saying, no, actually set up the notification of your heart to remind yourself that he is faithful, that you can endure, and that don't deny him. And that when, he, when you don't have the faith to make it through the next day, Jesus is faithful to you. Set up those notifications. You know, it's funny. It's like, I don't know, like there's other apps too, right? Where like if you get close to your home, like if you have a smart thermostat, like it knows that you're close and it'll turn on the air conditioning for you. I wonder what it looks like for us spiritually to remind ourselves in such a way every day that we're never, ever far away from God's heart. That we're always close to him. That we're always engaging in him. Like what does that look like? But Paul is saying, Timothy, Timothy, remind the people of that. Remind them not to check their heart out of the process. Be desperate for the Lord, is what he's saying. Be desperate. And when it comes to desperation, like, not only are we supposed to do that for ourselves, right? Like, I was tracking D this morning. I don't tell her. She's probably listening right now. But I was tracking D as she was driving just to make sure she was on the road, right? Not only am I supposed to remind myself and recall and remember that the Lord is faithful, but I'm supposed to help others do that too. It starts here and flows out. So, like, it starts in her heart, and then it moves to her hands as we love and serve and encourage those around us. Some of us need to turn on the notification of our hearts this morning. 
I don't know what that looks like. And I'm not saying that from a guilt and condemnation or a shame thing. I'm just reminding you, as Paul was reminding Timothy, that we can't go very far with our hearts turned off. But man, I could just make it down the road and not even realize how far I got and where, how I got home today. And so one thing, just before we move on from trait number one to remind, is the reason we did announcements again this morning is I don't know if we've, and this is just the side, this is like church talk for just a moment, I don't know if we've done a great job of reminding you of what's happening and where we are and where we're headed, but like I really want, and I just want to ask your forgiveness actually, so will you forgive me in that because that's on me, because I set that kind of tone, and so here's the thing. I know we've done announcements, we haven't done announcements, we've done this, we've done that. We're going to bring them back because we're not doing a good enough job getting the word out. That's on me. Forgive me. I ask for grace and mercy. My ask of you is that you don't just rely on what's said in person. Let's make sure that we use all the avenues, right? Sign up for emails. It's the the app. We push those notifications. And then two, as regards as like instead of tacking on giving at the end like we have, another probably not great decision on my part, um, we're going to ask you to rem- remind you to do that during the worship set. Because when you give, you don't give, as we have said a long time ago, you don't give to me, you don't give to this church, you give to the Lord. And when you give to the Lord, that is an act of worship. Right? So we're going to make that easier for all of us. So can, can we work together as we continue to kind of press through and what this looks like? Because I don't know about you, but like, I'm desperate. But not desperate in a way that I'm scared. I'm desperate for things of the Lord because as I've watched what's unfolded this weekend around the globe and for the last year and what might be coming, I don't know what time we have left. And I don't say that to be scared. But I want to make sure that I eliminate all the barriers so that I could do the work that God's called me to. And I want to eliminate the barriers so that we could do the work that God's called us to. That's what desperate means. Lord, let us value you more than everything else. Amen? Amen. Are we good? All right. Do I need to talk more about that? I hope you don't hear guilt and shame. I hope what you hear is, I want to get it right because we need to get it right because we need to be desperate because the Lord says the fields are white and ready to be harvested. And what I've seen, I just want to say like what I saw on Tuesday at the park and what we'll see at the park at the end of the month and what we'll see at the men's retreat and the women's thing on the 28th where people are sharing their testimonies and women are fellowshipping and what we'll see as we serve the city. I see a church that is being noticed for their love of Jesus and the gospel and nothing else. I saw that on Tuesday. I saw that last night in the baptism in the backyard and we're just getting started. That's desperate. That's desperate. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so that's trait number one. We're going to do a better job of reminding because Paul said it was really important. Okay? Not just ourselves, but for those around us. Trait number two, be present. I need to speed up because I'm going to keep you all here till it's Jesus does return, I think. Uh, we center trait number two, present, verse 15. What a calling for each of us in the kingdom is to be, is to present yourselves as a worker approved for God. What a calling, because I don't know about you, when I read that, I'm not. We're not, right? You, you know that, right? Like when you read this in verse 15 where he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed. 
I don't know if I read that without a lot of shame. Because I know all the things where I'm not. Just like you know all the things where you're not. But yet Paul says, do your best. And so here's the thing. When we think about a we center trait number two is to present yourself. How does one present yourself approved? Well, according to the text, it says here at the end of verse 15, it says, rightly handling the word of truth. Do you know what the word of truth is besides this? The word of truth is just the knowledge and the understanding of how the gospel is applied to your life personally. That's number one. Applying your, the gospel to your life. Timothy, by the way, is fighting because he mentions two people. Paul mentions two people, right? Like, it's not good when Paul mentions your name. That's like the ultimate naughty list. Like, they're probably not getting Christmas presents, and they're probably getting coal, if not other things, right? Like, but when they get mentioned, and so Timothy is pushing back on this notion in the church at Ephesus that the resurrection had already... Had, you ever noticed this conversation happening in modern times? Hey, the resurrection's already happened. Whoever's left behind is left behind. You ever notice that? Well, that's what's happening here, by the way. What they're saying, these two guys, what they're saying is the resurrection has already happened. It's just a spiritual resurrection. Everybody dies, and it's already done, and you're just going to be in the ground. And Paul's saying, no, actually, Timothy, remind them, because that's not true, because the gospel is that Jesus died. He came out of the ground, and he's going to return. He's going to return. And so just this idea of presenting ourselves is... When what is the gospel and do I understand it to my heart? And so like for me, like the gospel is simply this, is that there's nothing I could do. There's no right thoughts. There's no right boxes. There's no right motives, which I didn't have any motives pre-Jesus that were anything worth to anyone. And I'm being honest to work my way to God. God had to do something for me on behalf that I couldn't earn. Because it's not grace if we could earn it. And like, what would it look like for each of us to live in that knowledge of that I don't have to earn God's grace? Isn't that freedom? Don't we walk around so much in shackles spiritually because we don't have our notifications turned on? Don't we watch people walk around moving from place to place and thing to thing just looking for a little bit of hope? And the idea is, is that one is that I have the gospel in my life and then number two is can I explain that to someone else? Yesterday, I got the opportunity to talk about my story, um, just random conversation with another team parent yesterday, and I'm like, this is kind of weird. I'm kind of cold. It's, like, not hot anymore, and I just want to kind of get through these penalty kicks so I could go home, right? And, like, God just deposited an opportunity for me to talk about my story for, like, 30 seconds. Like, can you explain your story in 30 seconds? Can you explain it in five minutes? I don't know. But that's what it means to be a worker, to present ourselves as a worker approved for God. It's to understand the spiritual story of Jesus and how it interacts with our heart and then how we share that with others when we get the opportunity. But I don't know about you. It's like, can we talk about it and can we model it? And that's where we get stuck, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I don't model it perfectly every day. And we don't. But notice Paul says... Be perfect in how you present yourself. What does he say in verse 15? Do your what? Best. Do you ever think about your spiritual life as doing your best or doing it perfect? Because if you think about how you're not perfect instead of doing it best, then we're listening to not to God. And we're listening to Satan who keeps us on the bench. Which leads us to truth number two. Making our best effort to live the Christ life daily changes us over time. 
Let me just say that again. Making our best effort to live the Christ life daily changes us over time to be more like Him. Not being perfect. Not striving to be perfect some of the time. It's little things. It's doing your best every day. Knowing that you're not going to be at your best every day. And still saying, you know what? This afternoon, tomorrow, I'm going to do my best. Because striving to be perfect doesn't make anyone perfect. Because perfection is not attainable. Yet we have a world who thinks they have to be perfect to love and follow Jesus. And you don't. And they don't. Amen? Yeah, it's just little efforts. So like take yourself off the hook. How about just take a step and say, I'm going to do my best today even when I don't. Don't let the lie of perfection because that's what it is. Don't let the lie of perfection now keep you from being who Jesus wants you to be. That is the greatest freedom statement we have, is that you and I don't have to be perfect because he is perfect. You and I don't even have to be faithful because he is faithful. Back to Paul's words. So that's number two. We've got Presenting yourselves is number two. Reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. Number three, only a couple more. We, the, num, the third we-centered trait is useful in verse 21. Being useful in the kingdom is such a we-centered trait because it's interesting. It's the, the question we ask is, am I trying to build my kingdom personally or God's kingdom? We're called to be useful. Here's the question. Can we actually do both? Can we both build our lives and also build his Well, the word for useful is a combination of two words, which means good and service. That's literally what it means. Let me reread verse 21 again for you to remind us. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work, or set apart as holy for good service to the master. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, actually, what usefulness looks like is just to be available. To be available. Which means that we always don't always have time to do all the things that we want. Or we have to trust that God's going to tell us and show us what it is that we need to grow and what we don't need to grow. Or be about. And so how are we ready for the service? It's all back to the gospel. Cleanse yourself from the things that need cleansing, as Paul would say in verse 21. And so the thing is, is that we need to cleanse ourselves from the barriers that get in the way of our walk to where he wants us to be. And we all have those speed bumps, don't we? Like uh, this morning as we were driving in, like my, my oldest asked me, why are these things called speed humps? We have speed humps in their neighborhood because people like to drive. They did a traffic study. It was actually pretty interesting. People were driving 80 miles per hour at 2 a.m. in the morning on a residential street in our neighborhood, which you're like, that's kind of weird, right? Like, they don't even drive 80 miles per hour on I-20, but they were doing it in the neighborhood, so they installed these speed humps. And so she was like, what's the difference between a speed hump and a speed bump? Do you know what the difference is? By the way, I don't know, but do you know what the difference is? The size, right? You know what a speed bump is versus a speed hump, right? Because when you hit a speed hump, it turns into a ramp, and you turn into the Dukes of Hazard, and, you know, and jump your cars and destroy your car, right? That's the idea. Or you hit a curb, right? Well, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, no, actually cleanse yourself from the speed humps in your life so that you can continue on the path. That's what being useful means. You're available to service. If I drive too fast over the speed humps, 
my car's probably out of commission. So how do we know that we are in a position to be of good service? We flee youthful passions. Verse 22 and 23. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know what they breed, which are quarrels or fights. So I don't know what youthful passions mean to you or what those are for you. I know what they mean for me and what they mean for me, but being available to be used is to walk away from the useful things that I wish, you know, that I don't need to do anymore. And how I know that, right? How do I know that I'm doing that? It's because like I've got my heart, heart turned and tuned in such a way that I'm listening to him and he's saying, Hey, you know what? Like, that's not good for you. You need to step away from that. This is good for you. You need to step toward that. And so it's fleeing useful passion. So one of the ways of being useful is to saying, you know what, God? Like, I just, whatever the things that you have in my life, like, I'll, like help me love the things that you love more than the things that I love. Amen? Help me love you more than I love myself. Help me be useful to build your house and not just build my house. Because we're vessels. That's what Paul is saying. There's a great house. By the way, he's talking about his house. Where's his house? Well, it's the temple here, but it's also in heaven. And there are vessels, some made of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a dishonorable vessel in his house. But I don't have to be perfect either. I just have to be available. And so it got me to thinking, like, the word for uh, useful is very similar to the word for communion. And you know what communion is. Like we do that once a month here where we remind ourselves. It's like Jesus did with the disciples in the upper room. He says, right, you know, take the bread and bless it. This is my body broken for you. Take the juice in the cup and drink it. This is my blood shed for you as a new covenant. And that word communion literally means to give thanks. That's why we do it. We, when we take communion, we remind, there's that word remind again. We remind ourselves to be thankful for what Jesus did and who he is and his body and his blood. And I just think it's interesting that Paul is reminding Timothy to tell his people that we were also vessels for honorable use. And so when we are useful for the kingdom, it's almost like we become communion cups too. You know that we have those little things, the little drive-by cups, right, where we peel the thing back? Do you know your life is that? Do you know you're a communion cup for the kingdom? Which leads us to truth number three. Not only should we regularly take communion, but we should live communion lives of sacrifice. That's what being useful is. To lead communion lives of sacrifice. Be a communion cup. What does it look like for you this week, even this day, to say, you know what? My body is going to be broken in such a way for the kingdom just like Jesus' was. Hopefully not literally, because I've seen those images this weekend. That's not good. But praise God that we don't have to live in an environment like that. But we're not off the hook. What does it look like for my blood, like the juice that God's put in us, to just bring refreshment and remind people and point other people to who he is? Not only should we regularly take communion, but we should also live communion lives of sacrifice. That's trait number three. Two more. Trait number four. Not quarrelsome. This is a biggie, isn't it? In today's social media planet, 
where it's easy, easier to tee off on people on social media and be a keyboard warrior. By the way, have you ever felt the pressure to be a keyboard warrior or to espouse your opinion and just tee off on somebody? That's the opposite of being not quarrelsome, by the way. I just want to say that, right? And let's be honest. Paul is talking out of both sides of his mouth, isn't he? Because he's ta- he just blasted two guys for swerving from the truth. But then he says, don't be quarrelsome. So let me just say this. Not being quarrelsome doesn't mean not standing up for truth. It's how we stand up for truth is what Paul's talking about. See the difference? So if that means it's in the heat of the moment, you want to fire off a tweet or a Facebook post or something just to keep it in the social media arena for just a moment or Instagram for you youngins in here or whatever else, Snapchat or whatever else is going on, which I don't have on my phone because I don't have enough on my phone. It's not that you don't stand up for truth. It's how you stand up for truth because you realize when we stand up for truth in such a way that gets in the way of other people from understanding and following who Jesus is, we do no earthly good for him. We don't, period. And I was reading some polls, and you want to guess what the, the, the percentage is of what most people think Christians are, whether they're quarrelsome or not? You want to guess which one was higher, quarrelsome versus not quarrelsome? Quarrelsome. Hmm. But yet Paul just said that we need to be useful for the master in his house. Right? Too often we fight instead of dis- disagreeing and discussing. We fire off something instead of disagreeing and discussing. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to discuss. It's not okay to murder people or your opponent in the arena because that's what it is. We skip quickly to murdering people in the heart because that's what happens when we fight. Because when I fight, I don't care about winning. I only care about not losing. I said that yesterday, by the way. I hate losing more than I like winning, and there is a difference. Spiritually, that is no worth to, king, to the kingdom of Jesus. You understand that, right? But what is required is an open heart to pursue the truth with others, to not be quarrelsome. So it's okay to challenge truth claims. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to say, you know what? There might be another way to think through that. But if we do that in such a way just to prove that they're wrong so that we could be right as opposed to exposing them to the truth, then I think we've made it about ourselves being right and not losing as opposed to Jesus being glorified. So that's number four, not quarrelsome. Number five, last one, almost done. We center trait number five is correcting with general gentleness, which flows out of the fourth one of being not quarrelsome. When we correct with gentleness, we do it with humility and kindness. Whether a believer or not, when we do our part in humility, we don't become a barrier because that's what it is. You and I should be in the removing barrier business and pointing the Jesus business. That's it. It's not our job to convince. It's not our job to undo whatever it is that's there. That's Jesus' job. Look at verse 25. Just real quick, last verse. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. It is not our job to help people repent. It's our job to present the truth. It's God's job to repent. I think we forget that, don't we? Because I would rather not lose than win. And I'm sorry. When we talk about people's souls, when we talk about where people are in their walk with the Lord, whether you're near or far, or you're in a season that, that you're far away or you're close, when I think about 
like I read this, uh, I read this again this morning because I was up early and it was like this, this idea of like no matter where you fall on the side of whatever's happening in the world, all those people are made in the image of God and are loved by him and should be loved by his followers. And that's a challenge, isn't it? But that's the great kingdom call of our communion lives. It's the correct way you know. And it's truth number four, last truth this morning. No better opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself, which we've talked about for the last several weeks, by being gentle in disagreements and correction. No greater way in this social media, digital world that you and I live in is to be gentle in correction and disagreements. So as we turn our attention to our hearts, I don't know about you, but when I hear the truth of God, we have the opportunity to respond. And when we respond, we have the opportunity to be changed. And so that's what we're talking about this moment. The band's going to come back up. If they're even in here, I don't know what they're doing. Um, there they are. There's a couple of them. They're hiding in the shadows. But that's the opportunity. We have the opportunity to be changed this morning by asking God, where am I in these things? What does it look like for me to live out reminding myself and others? What does it look like for me to be to present myself approved by God by doing the best that I can? What does it look like for me to be useful for your kingdom? What does it look like for me to not be quarrelsome anymore? You want to, I don't think there's any better evidence of Jesus Christ of a, of, of a follower not fighting anymore. What's there to fight? He's fought the battle. He's won the war. We're just waiting for him to come back. And then number five, what does it look like for look like for us to be correcting with gentleness and so my question for you is like where do we need grace where do we need to be different what do we need to confess before the lord where do we need to forgive others or how better how about this forgive ourselves because it's not that i harbor unforgiveness for other people it's i harbor unforgiveness for myself because i don't know if i do my best to present myself approved But yet Jesus says, no, actually, Tyler, when you're faithless, I'm faithful. Christian, when you're faithless, I'm faithful. Christian, when you endure, you'll reign. When you die with me, you'll live with me. And so that's what I want you to do in this response song. I just want to give yourself, I want you to give yourself an opportunity wherever you are and whatever you find yourself in with the opportunity to be changed because that's what's offered. So if you need prayer today, like during the song, we'll pray with you. If you need it afterwards, if you want to spend a few minutes of talking, we'll do that. Here's what I know. Don't leave this moment without the opportunity to change. Don't leave this moment because at the end of the day, that's what God is asking of you and of me to change, to be more like him and less like ourselves. Amen. Amen. Stand and pray with me. God, when I think about just that, the grace that you've been, that you've offered. And again, when I think about just all the things that are going on in the world, the things that we can't handle, the things that we're struggling with, the needs that we have. God, you still give us an opportunity to be more like you. And so, God, my prayer for all of us is that we would trust you, 
that we would have faith in you, that we would bring those things to you. But also, God, as we think about what it looks like for us to be a church that is desperate for you and notice not for anything other than who you are and that you've sent us to those around us. God, what a glorious picture of the communion calling of our lives. So in this song, let us sing as we pray and we seek your face. Let us do that. And God, I ask that you'd let us be communion cups. It's in your name. Amen.